Good morning, good morning, good morning, 1045. How are we feeling this morning? Yes. Good, good, good. Hey, I have to confess something to you, and I'm actually quite proud of it. Um, we have, I've got three kids. Uh, they have been crazy in fall sports, and fall sports have starting to wind down. Praise the Lord. I love them, but praise the Lord. Uh, yesterday was the first Saturday in three months that we didn't have to be anywhere until two o'clock in the afternoon. So, I, listen, I'm just... With, don't clap yet. Let me tell you what I did. Um, we have this thing that our, we've developed this rhythm as parents with our kids that on those Saturdays, if you touch the door of my room before I touch the door of my room, you may not live to see another day. And so we didn't roll out of bed until the, the numbers on the clock had double digits. It was after 10 o'clock and I felt, I've never felt closer to Jesus than I did in that moment. And so I actually rolled over, I grabbed my phone and I actually saw John Stewart post pictures of snow and I go, oh babe, it snowed this morning. So I went and flung open the windows and it was done. So I don't know how long that lasted, um, but I, I don't mind to tell you, I, 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 can, I, I still can sleep in and access that inner teenager self that, that I'm you know, excited to be able to do from time to time. Uh, if I had not met you yet, my name is Journey and it's my privilege to be the pastor here. So glad that you have chosen to spend part of your Sunday morning worshiping with us. I wanna start this morning by asking a question. Have you ever met somebody who started something with the intention of failing? Have you ever? Maybe an architect who said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start developing drawings and plans for a building and it is going to be awful and I can't wait. Or maybe an athlete that's going through two-a-days in the preseason going, you know what, man, I, I am up and I am grinding and I'm going through two-a-days and I am busting my hump because I have visions of being awarded the sportsmanship award because we all know they only give sportsmanship awards to the people or teams that finish in last place. Or maybe a marriage that began, like, like you've seen one of those like engaged couples that are all like super lovey-dovey and it's kind of awkward sometimes. You know, and they're looking at each other like, I love you more, no, I love you more, no, I love you more, right? And it's like, would y'all stop? And then, they, then, then you ask, like, why are you so excited to get married? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this. Let me tell you why we're excited to get married. We're so excited to get married because we're going to run really hot and really fast for a few years. And then we can't wait till this thing's in and a messy train wreck defined by, by co-parenting and alimony. And that is what we are hoping for. Praise God. Or maybe, a, maybe an expecting parent awaiting the, the birth of their first child. What are you looking forward to the most when you see your baby? Well, I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking at holding my baby and just looking my baby right in the eyes and say, I'm gonna be such a terrible parent to you that by the time you turn 16, we're gonna hate each other and never wanna see each other be in the same room together again. That's where we're going, sweetheart. Buckle up, let's go. It's gonna be great. Nobody does that. And I would be willing to bet that you've never met anybody in any situation that started something with the hopes that it would fail. In fact, I would be willing to bet that you, anytime you have ever started something, you started it in the hopes that it would succeed. And so I wanna ask a second question today. If I were to tell you that there is a guaranteed way for the things of your life to be successful, would you be interested in learning how? This isn't like, all right, this isn't like a sham wow, all right? I'm not gonna ask you to call anybody. I'm not gonna offer free shipping. But I believe that inside of all of us is a desire to, to not suck at what we do. In fact, I believe that we all start things and begin things with the hopes and the desires that it would be successful. Welcome to week five of our series called Man Up. It is a six-week series where we are diving into and talking about the things that God wants for men. And the reason why we are on this journey is because God just began to stir in my heart this conviction that inside of every boy that God created, God created that boy to be a godly man, but few boys ever become the man that God intended them to be. And so we are diving into this and unpacking this and I have to tell you and confess to you what I have been shocked by. When I began this process and I told our staff that we were gonna spend six weeks in the fall running, uh, working through this series specifically geared towards the men, I told them, I said, this kind of freaks me out a little bit because you know, essentially half the audience can go, I'm out, doesn't apply to me. But I've been kind of shocked uh, at how many ladies have come up to me and said, pastor, I have to tell you, this series has been exactly what I needed. 
And that kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit like, really? It's just kind of amazing what God will do. I, here, here's something that's kind of cool. Three weeks ago or two weeks ago, when we talked about the difference between what separates the men from the boys, a 14-year-old girl got saved in church that day. How cool is that? So I say that to say this, ladies, don't tune out because there's gonna be something that's gonna be here for you as well. The title of today's message is The Way of Success. And we find this title rooted in the second half of Psalm chapter one and verse three that says this, where God makes a promise and he issues this promise and he says that whatever he does, and we're gonna learn who he is in just a minute, that whatever he does shall prosper. Now, this is crazy because this is a promise that God is making to anybody who would be willing to classify or align themselves under the things that he describes. In just a moment, we're going to learn what it is that defines who he is. And by the way, this applies not just to the he's in the room, but the she's as well. And what God is doing is, is God is saying, listen, I want you to know that I want your life to be a success. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, have you ever taken time to think about what does God think about my life and the things that I'm doing? Does God want them to be successful or not? Unfortunately, a lot of people have this vantage point and this perspective that God is really nothing more than a cosmic killjoy in the sky. If I can be honest, there are times in my life where I kind of thought that's kind of what God's was. Like his job was to be the opposite of the genie from Aladdin, right? Like there was no song, no dance, no three wishes, just it, does it sound fun? Stop doing it. That's wrong. But I begin to learn that that's not at all how God is. In fact, God is incredibly interested in your life. He's incredibly interested in your success. In fact, God is incredibly interested in winning. Have you ever thought about that before? Where does God fall on the whole like winning and losing spectrum? God is for real competitive. In fact, God is so competitive. God is actually a trash talker. Do you know that God is a trash talker? I always loved when I played sports, the guys who talked a lot of trash, because I never did. I wasn't, I wasn't good enough to talk trash. But anytime that someone talked trash, it, it like caused my motor to rev up. I'm like, oh, I'm about to show you. I've got so many stories, I don't have time to tell you. But trust me when I say, when people talk trash, it like caused me to access something that I didn't know that I had. But God is a trash talker. And the reason why I know God is a trash talker is because in the, in the back of his book, in Revelation, he actually says, he calls his shot. And not only does he do it in the book of Revelation, he actually did it all throughout the Old Testament when he called his shot and he said, listen, devil, you're not gonna win. Let me tell you how I'm gonna win and let me show you how, how helpless and powerless you are to do anything about the fact that I'm gonna win. And then we get to the end of the book of Revelation, we see that God does in fact win and God is so confident that he's gonna win that he has just scripted the whole thing so that anybody who's interested that wants to know how things are gonna play out, just go to the end of the book of Revelation and see that Jesus wins, the devil loses, righteousness reigns and wickedness is judged. And if you are on the side of God, then that's really good news for you. But God cares about your life. God cares about you winning so much so that God actually provides instructions on how you and the things in your life can be a success. Now, in order to understand what this is, what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to zoom out just for a minute and we're gonna have to zoom out and see what is it that God prescribes. And what we're gonna learn is this, that God basically is making this promise that he, and he is anybody that would be willing to do one thing will qualify under he in this verse, that if you would do this one thing, you get to be included in he, and you and your life will be prosperous. Technically, it's two things, because it's one thing not to do and one thing to do. Let's go back to Psalm chapter one and verse one, and let's see what God says. God starts off by saying, blessed is the man. This applies to the ladies as well. This word bless is translated um, as the word bless. It's also often translated as the word happy. God is interested in you being blessed. God is interested in you being happy. And he actually starts off the book of Psalms, the longest book in the Bible. And he starts off the first chapter of Psalms by saying, listen, I want you to know that I'm interested in your life being blessed. But what we're gonna learn as we unpack this and as we dive into this is that God is interested in us being blessed. God is interested in us being happy, but he wants us to understand that that blessed, that blessed life, that happy life is gonna come at the cost of a decision that we're gonna have to make. And he begins to lay this out and he goes on and he first talks about the thing that we are not to do. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. There are two simultaneous progressions that are happening here. The first is the posture and the pace. Notice he says, blessed is the man who walks, uh, who, uh, he talks about walking, he talks about standing, and he talks about sitting. Oftentimes in the Bible, the life of a person who follows Jesus is oftentimes prescribed as a journey. It's prescribed as a walk. Sometimes it's prescribed that we should run the race that God has set before us. And so what we often see and most often see is a progressive pace of the journey where we start off walking, but eventually God wants us to get to the place where we can run after him. But what we see in Psalm chapter one here is that God is prescribing the opposite. It's the devolving of that pace. That instead of running, you started off walking and then you got to the point of standing and then now you got to the place of sitting. That's the first progression. I want you to notice the second progression. The second progression speaks to the company that we keep. He talks about the ungodly, the sinners and the scornful. These are descriptions of people who have little or no regard for God's view on life and the things of life. He starts off by talking about the ungodly. The ungodly could be classified as anybody who might define themselves and you might describe them as a good person. But God prescribes them as ungodly because God wants us to understand that, that, that us being good or bad is not what determines whether or not we're godly. God wants us to understand that what separates the godly from the ungodly is what or who we believe in. And what God is saying here is that the ungodly are the people who might be good people, but they've never come to the place of realizing that they need Jesus. They've never come to the place of realizing that, God, I can't live the life that, that I hope to live. I can't have the things that I hope to have. I can't, I can't get free from the stuff from my past apart from you. So, so, so the ungodly are the ones that have yet to come to a place where they say, God, I need you. We sang about that today. I need you. I need you. Oh, how I need you. The godly are those who've come to that place of saying, God, I need you. They've called out for God. They've trusted in the reality that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. He rose from the grave on the third day. And because of that, anyone who placed their faith in him could move from being ungodly to being godly. He goes on and he talks about the scornful. The scornful are oftentimes those, those boldly opposed to God, those who sometimes will mock God. It's oftentimes the scornful are the people who were quick to point the finger at other people's hypocrisy, but are unwilling to hold up the mirror to evaluate their own life. And so when we look at these two progressions, what God does is he brings these two things together. And what he wants us to understand is this, is that we need to be careful that we don't get too comfortable with or take advice from people who have little regard for God. This is what God is saying. If you want to be blessed, if you want to be qualified under the he that whatever he does shall prosper, then here's what you need to not do. And you need to not grow too comfortable or take advice from people who have little, little uh, view or respect of who God is or what God thinks. Why is that such a big deal? Because here's the thing. It does not take a lot of imagination to, to imagine what happens when we surround ourselves with people and find ourselves in places constantly in, in situations where there is no respect or no concern or little regard for God. Listen, I, I love to eat. I love donuts. I believe that when we get to heaven, we can eat all the donuts we want and we will get more of a six pack. I believe that and you can't prove me wrong. But here's the deal. Let's talk about something silly for just a second. If I'm in a situation where I'm trying to be mindful of what I eat and somebody brings an apple fritter from Slavinsky's from Carney, which are the best apple fritters on the planet, if they sit this on this table, I'm gonna notice it. It's not gonna take long for me to notice it. And you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna start circling that dude. I'm gonna start like, anybody eating this? Just, just curious. I mean, I don't wanna be that guy who takes the last, the last thing, right? And so, so if I spend enough time circling it, like, man, look at that thing. That thing looks good. Man, where'd you get that from? Oh, that's Slavinsky's. Oh, bless the Lord. Mm. I'm gonna stop and just look at it for just a second. Oh, I can see there's apple in there. There's a crust. It's crunchy. There's glaze. Oh, I can feel, ooh, it feels hot still. Oh, my goodness. It's not going to be long that I move from walking to standing to saying, somebody, for the love of God, bring me a chair and a glass of milk because I'm about to go to town on this apple fritter. I'm about to perform a magic trick. Now you see it, and now you don't. 
Now we're having some fun here today, but can I tell you, this is what happens when we get too comfortable around ungodly people. We get, uncomfort- we get too comfortable in ungodly situations that the stuff that at one point we would have walked by, we stop walking by it, we start walking around it. And once we do, it's only a matter of time until we stop and look at it and we sit down and sit in it. Why does this matter? Let me tell you why this matters. The surest way to miss out on the way of success that God promises you is by living in opposition to him. I'm gonna say that again. The surest way to miss out on the success that God is promising you is to live in opposition to him. God does not and will not bless disobedience. That's not how his economy works. If we want to be blessed by him, if we want to be able to activate the promises that he makes to us in our lives, then we must choose to live in obedience. And God is saying, don't get too comfortable with the ungodly situation or ungodly people. Now, let me hard stop here just for a second because what somebody might hear from me is, oh, preacher man saying, I I can't be friends with anybody who doesn't go to church with me. I can't be friends with any of those non-Jesus people. And can I tell you, for far too long, there's been far too many people that have developed this mentality that in order for me to be like Jesus, I've got to spend time listening to my Jesus music, wearing my Jesus clothes, watching my Jesus movies, going to only the Jesus places, hanging out with my Jesus people, and all of us just hang out right here together, us four and no more, and us, our little Jesus crowd. And I just have a question. If all we ever do is spend time with our Jesus crowd, how will anybody outside of the Jesus crowd ever hear about the goodness of Jesus? God calls us to be like Jesus. And what does the Bible say that Jesus was? Jesus was a friend of, if you know it, say it with me, sinners. Jesus freaked the religious people, the angry church people of his day, he freaked them out. He was constantly hanging out with sinners. In fact, time after time after time again, the angry religious people and the, and the angry pastors of Jesus' day would come and they would see Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. They would go, Jesus, don't you know who you were having dinner with? You were having dinner with sinners and the tax collectors. God doesn't even like the IRS. No offense to anybody who works for the IRS and mom, if you're watching, I'm sorry. My mom works for the IRS. But Jesus said, listen, y'all tripping. It's not the healthy who need a physician, it's the sick. So the, when we talk about this, we're not talking about that we shouldn't, we shouldn't be out in the world. It's not talking about that we shouldn't be friends with, with, with people who, who are classified as ungodly. I, pro, I wouldn't recommend by going, what's going on, man? How you doing? You're so ungodly. I'm gonna hang out with you. I wouldn't recommend that. That relationship probably won't go very far. But how do we navigate this? How do we live in this tension that God calls us to be out in the world but not be of the world? Let me provide a tip to you. You need to be involved in the world until the world causes you to look less like Jesus. What does that mean? It means that you need to be involved in the world. You need to find some friends. Can I just speak to all the, all the Jesus people in a second, for just a second? If you do not have a good friend who does not know, love, or follow Jesus or see Jesus the way that you do, I am going to say with boldness and confidence, you have misaligned your priorities just a little bit. God calls us to be friends of sinners. But here's the deal. In the pursuit of you being friends with ungodly people, if they begin to influence you more than you were influencing them, it is time to throw the red flags up and to redraw some boundary lines about how you're orienting your life and your time. That doesn't mean that when your buddy texts you like, hey bro, we're gonna go hang out at wherever, whenever you come join us. Don't respond to that by saying, you know what, man, I probably shouldn't do that. I need to spend some time not spending time with you and I need to spend some time praying with you because you're so ungodly. Don't do that. Now, you might need to do that. You might need to actually spend some time praying for your friend. But the point that God wants us to understand is that we are to go and shine the light of Jesus into the world. And if as we are going and hanging out with people who do not know Jesus, who do not agree with us about who Jesus is, doesn't see Jesus the same way that we are, if at some point we start to look more like them than they look like Jesus, then we need to redraw some boundaries. 
So what God is telling us, he's telling us, listen, don't get too comfortable. Don't get too cozy being around ungodly situations or ungodly people. Now what he's gonna do in the next verse, he's gonna tell us what we need to do. Verse two, he says this, but, but his, and he's talking about the person who's blessed, who has decided that I'm gonna agree and not do the thing that God tells me not to do. But now I'm gonna learn what I ought to do. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. What is God's law? It's the Bible. And what God is saying is that, that the man who, and the, or the woman who is blessed is the one who delights in God's word. You know what that word delight means? It means to take pleasure in God's word. It means to enjoy it. Now, if I can just be honest, some of y'all might get up and walk out the door as soon as I say this. But I gotta be honest with you, there are some times where I'm reading parts of the Bible and I'm like, what do you want me to get out of that, God? I'm not, I'm not really quite sure. I had a day like that this week. I sat down, had my quiet time, opened my Bible. I'm working through some of the Psalms right now. Um, and, 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 and I read this Psalm and I closed the book and I was like, I don't know what you wanted for me in that. But I'm gonna trust you that somehow, some way you're gonna connect some dots. And I still hadn't figured out how those dots connected yet. So, the point is not that, that every time that you open the Bible, it's gonna be like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. I can't put it down. Maybe it'll be like that. Or maybe you'll do like what a lot of people have done, like I've done many times. You start January chapter one, it's a new year. I'm gonna read my Bible through an entire year. And so you get a plan and you read through Genesis and like that was kind of cool and some creation stuff and all this weird stuff with Abraham and, and, and all the other stuff and then awesome. And you got to Exodus and that was cool. Exodus and Moses and let my people go and Pharaoh, Pharaoh and, and all the plagues. And I don't really understand how God's cool with that, but, but I'm still trying to figure it out. And then you got to Leviticus and you're like, what the heck is this? Thou shalt not eat the animals that chew the cud with the cloven hooves and the, and the this, that, and the other, and the blah, 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 blah. Now listen, I gotta tell you, there's some wicked awesome stuff in the Levit book of Leviticus that once you begin to peel back all the imagery and what God's trying to say, it's amazing. But on the surface, it's like, Lord, I feel like Michael from the office. I need you to explain this to me like I'm a five-year-old. Which by the way, there's some great resources that can do that for you, and I'd love to point you towards them. But we need to delight in his word. How does this help? How does it help the taking pleasure in God's word? Because when you, when you delight in God's word, when you spend time in God's word, you begin to learn some things about God. And as you learn things about God, it changes your view of him. You see, when you begin to delight in God's word, you begin to learn about God's goodness and his grace and how overwhelming it is. And not just for you, but for the person who you are connected with on social media that you read their posts and you shook your head and your spouse goes, what? And you go, I just, wrote, I just read what Bill wrote. He's an idiot. Can't believe he voted for that doofus. And, you, and it begins to change the way like, maybe, maybe he's not an idiot. Maybe I, maybe I just, you know, need, maybe God loves him too. Not only do you begin to realize God's goodness and his grace, you also begin to learn about the life that Jesus wants for you to have, that it, it looks different. And then you begin to realize that, that in order for us to have the life that God wants for you to have, it's gonna require some change. Now here's good news, bad news. The good news of change is that we instinctively understand some things about change. Like if I wanna lose weight, I need to change my eating habits. If I want my financial situation to be different, I need to change my spending habits. Right, we instinctively learn this, but something happens that when we read the Bible, we begin to realize that all of these things that we do externally to try to change the situation, to try to change our lives, to try to make our relationships better, try to make our marriage better, our parenting better, our business better, our career better, all of these things, some of them are great and good and fine, but the reality of it is, is we begin to read that the change that God wants to make in order for us to live the life that God wants for us to have is not external change. It's not behavior modification that God is interested God is interested in an internal transformation. And when you read God's word, you come across incredible verses like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What does that mean? It means that anybody that's come to the place that moved from being ungodly to godly by placing their belief and faith in Jesus, then you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. There's something new in there that didn't used to be in there. Can I get a witness from somebody that has experienced that? 
And what does that mean? It means that, that at times you're going you're gonna to realize that some stuff is dead and gone. And the first thing that is dead and gone, when you become a new creation in Christ, you know what it is? It's all of the blame. It's all of the accusation. It's all of the condemnation that people from your past have been able to point at you that has caused you to believe that you are less than. When you become a new creation, they can keep running their mouths, but it's not true about you anymore. Here's the second thing that begins to change. You begin to realize that, that you have some old habits that begin to change. And you see, that's not ex, ex, external behavior modification. That's a change that happens when God gets a hold of your heart and God begins to birth something new in you that now you begin to have some new and some different desires. And when you come to situations where you have some old desires that still hang tough and it's hard to let go of, then when you are a new creation, you can say, I don't have to do that. Before I felt compelled, I didn't have any other option, but I'm new now. There's something new inside of me. God, would you help me to see how I don't have to do that? And the Bible says that God will not allow any temptation to come towards you except that which is common to man because he will always, always, always provide a way of escape. What is your area of temptation? What is your addiction? What is your stronghold? What's the thing that keeps tripping you up. When you are a new creation, here's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God begins to help you see that there are off-ramps to this massive pipeline that the whole world seems to say it's okay, but I don't like the way I feel on the inside when I do these things. God helps you begin to see there's some off-ramps that you can take now that weren't open to you before, but now they are. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The only way that we can have the success that God is promising us is if we are willing to do what God has instructed us. You know, there's a lot of things in this world that we can find enjoyment in. Some of them aren't very good for us. We might enjoy it in the moment, but, it, but at some point we realize that, that something inside feels like it's dead a little bit. There's a lot of things in this world that we can find enjoyment in that are great and awesome and wholesome. Listen, I love a good meal. You don't get to look like a full-figured man without liking a good meal. But if I overindulge in a meal, it's not good for me. I love playing golf. I'm not super great at it, but I love it. I'm one of those weird guys that follows these um, uh, golf accounts on, on Instagram that shows all these like the most beautiful golf courses in the world. And I'm constantly sending them to my wife, like, check this out. Wouldn't this be awesome? Maybe someday God will answer that prayer. And at some point, like I imagine, like she just rolls her eyes. Like, are you serious? Like, bro, I get it. It ain't ever gonna happen. So I'm not approving you to spend $2,500 for you to fly there, spend a couple days and play golf at a $300 round golf course. Like it's not happening. But God, if you want to bless that, like I wouldn't be mad about it. I'd happily take her along with me. Listen, I love being married. I promise you, I love being married just as much as anybody has ever loved being married. Jessica and I, we went and did something really uh, new for us yesterday. We had some, um, some folks in the church that had uh, a couple of extra tickets to go see an opera last night. Now, I'm from Arkansas. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I can promise you, there ain't many Arkansasers rolling up to La Triviata going, oh, I love the way that lady sings in Italian. Mmm. But you know what? It was a lot of fun. We went to bed last night and I told Jess, I said, you know what, babe? I just love doing new things with you. I love, I love, experience, love new experiences and new stuff. Like if I'm with you, I'm good. But you know, even in the best marriages that you can overindulge, the way that you overindulge in food, you can overindulge in an activity, you can overindulge in a relationship where you make that person an idol that you worship instead of worshiping God. Here's what I'm trying to get at. The only thing in this life that we can overindulge in and it not be a detriment to our life is the Bible. In fact, when you overindulge in the Bible, it doesn't cause detrimental things to happen. It causes incredibly powerful and positive things to happen where you begin to change and you become a different person. And the more you indulge in the word of God, the more what happens, you begin to be more of a breath of fresh air and a life-giving presence when you walk into situations and places. And God wants us to get to this place where we can, we can learn to enjoy and muse God's word. This word muse means to, 
to be curious, to wonder, to ask questions about, to, 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 to allow something to be the instigation of something new in you. This is what God wants. God wants us to learn to do this. Now I wanna offer just a real quick side note. As a church and as a pastor, I am incredibly passionate and we are incredibly passionate about helping people learn how to do this. You know, want to know the reason why? Because I believe that what God's word says is true. And if we would do this, then we would position ourselves to be blessed and prosperous the way that God talked about in Psalm chapter one, verse three, in the second half of it, that whatever you do will be prosperous. And so if it's required to delight in God's word, to learn to love God's word, then I am passionate about helping you do that. Men, can I just take a minute and and, and just speak some real honest talk to you? Part of the job of a pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Let me take a moment to afflict the comfortable. I have heard so many men in our church say, you know what, pastor, like I get it. I ought to read my Bible more, but I just don't really know how. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to go. And when I do, it doesn't make sense to me and all that kind of stuff. I get it. That's part of the reason why we started several months ago a discipleship, intentional discipleship process that we call Starting Point that's designed to help people learn how to overcome those obstacles, help you learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how to study Jesus. And we're gonna pair you with a mentor and a coach to help walk you through those things so that you can learn and grow. Why? Because we want you and I want you and God wants you to have a life that is defined as prosperous. But I just gotta be honest, man, I'm not, like, I'm not upset about it, but I'm concerned about it. Last week, I told you about Starting Point. I put a QR code on your handout and gave you a website because I know how many conversations I've had with men in our church that have told me that this is an area that is a struggle for them. And we introduced this and we had one man in the whole church take the challenge and sign up for Starting Point. Now, I'm not mad about it. Listen, we're not doing that for me. We're doing it for you. I love you men. I want you to live the life that God intended for you to live. So some of y'all right now need to bust your phone out. I put the QR code again. Like, listen, I get it. I'm a dude. Sometimes I got to hear it a couple of times. Like, pull out your phone, scan the QR code, go to the website, sign up. Ladies, you can do this too. We've got men and women that are both trained to walk with people through this process so that you can learn to enjoy and use God's word. And if you want to go through it as a couple, we've got couples that would love to disciple other couples through the process. End of stump speech. Now you might be saying, all right, preacher man, like I, you're kind of losing me a little bit, right? Like I, I, you talked about success and I was all in on that. I want to know about that. But now all, I feel like you just teach me how to be a Jesus freak and you're kind of losing me because I'm not really even sure where I am with Jesus, much less trying to be a freak of Jesus. All right, well, don't tune out. Let me show you the best part. This, this, is, this is what you came for. This is what you paid your, well, you didn't pay for this. Let me show you what God gives us as an image of success. It looks like this. Yeah, I get it. First service, we had some people that were like, yep, not getting it, I'm out. Let me read for you what God describes in Psalm chapter one, verse three, when God begins to describe what success looks like. He, the man who's blessed, She'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now you have to use your imagination. I couldn't find a desert tree that was in the desert and also by water. So apparently that doesn't happen very often. So you'd be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. whose leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does, whatever he does, shall prosper. I mean, I, I get it. That's probably not the success that you're hoping for. I mean, at some point, we all at some level would love to have the kind of success that allows us to have some more money to be able to enjoy some more things and, and maybe allow us to have a name that means something to people where our name is the name that gets brought up in conversation because somebody wants somebody else to know that they know you. Like, I get that. At some level, I think we all have an interest in that. But if we would allow ourselves to dig beneath the surface, I believe what we would find is the same thing that I have found in myself that that what I really want is something that's deeper than that. I don't want my life and the success of my life to just be measured by assets, bank accounts, and dollar signs. That at my funeral, I don't, I don't want people to just talk about, yep, he had a lot of money, the end. That I don't want people to say something different about me. And, and what God is describing here is a, is a different kind of success. And he's, he, he's talking about how the truly successful person 
is like a tree that's planted in the desert, in the wilderness. That when the terrain is harsh and dry and it's barren and it's, it's difficult, that, that the tree has, has found a source that's beneath the surface that, that has allowed it to thrive regardless of what the surrounding environment is. And that they're planted not just by any stream of water, but they're planted on the living water. Jesus said that he was the living water. He told a woman in John chapter four that that if she would drink of the well that he draws from, that she would never grow thirsty again. What Jesus wants us to understand is that when we plant our lives on Jesus and we allow, we dig our roots into Jesus, then what happens is is we begin to be nourished and we begin to be satisfied in ways that the world has never been able to provide for us before. And because of that, we're being constantly nourished so that there's no never a time where there is not fruit in our lives. That, that when you go through the ups and the downs of your marriage, when you go through the ups and the downs of your career, when you go through the hardships of life, listen, it's not, it's not when or maybe, it's if. It's going to happen. Life is going to suck and it's going to hit you in the face. And what God wants you to know is that if you are a blessed man or a blessed woman, then you will be like a tree that's planted by rivers of water and you will continue to have fruit regardless of what the outside season is you'll be planted into something and connected to something that never runs dry. And because of that, not only will you have fruit that never goes away, it's always ripe in its season, you will also never have leaves in your life. You will never have stuff in your life that shrivels and fades and goes away so that at one point, just a few weeks ago, we would drive and we'd see all the trees and they look beautiful and awesome. And in a few more weeks, there's gonna be no more leaves and that all we will see is the, is the remnant of what was and the memory of what used to be and the hope of what someday will be again. But what God wants us to know is that when we are planted in him, we will be blessed and there will never be a time where we can only look back at what was or only look forward in hopes of what will be, that we will always be able to live in a season where we are being blessed and nourished and our lives will be vibrant and and flourishing. And because of that, We will begin to experience living a life that's not about our own interests or our own ability, but that our lives will then become a source for others, that our lives, like the tree that you see here, like like you look at a tree that's in a desert like this and it's totally bare and you're going, listen, that doesn't make any sense. Can I tell you, the point of the tree is not the tree. The tree might provide shade, but the tree isn't the source. The tree is the evidence that there is a source that can provide nourishment regardless of what the outside says. And what God wants for your life and what he wants for my life is that we would be like this. And so I wanna ask a few questions because God wants us to understand, men, that he wants our lives to be like this so that our lives can provide shade and respite. If you've ever been on a long hike and it's hot, I've never been in one of those situations where someone says, man, it's so hot. I'm so tired. I'm exhausted from all the climbing. I want a hot rock that's sitting in the middle of the sun so I can just bake more. Please, just a hot rock. Here I am, Lord, bake me. No. What do you look for? You're looking for a shade tree where you can sit down, you can take your pack off, you can rest, and you can enjoy the breeze and get a little bit of refreshment. Can I tell you, men, this is what God has called our lives to be. Let me ask you a couple of questions, men. Does your spouse, if you're married, does your spouse feel like she can relax and put down her guard in your presence? Or does she always feel like she has to walk on eggshells because she's not sure what, what she's getting? You see, the tree that is planted by rivers of water is steady, it's stable, it's predictable, it's reliable, it's trustworthy. If you're a parent, let me ask this question. Do your kids feel at ease to unload the cares of their world at your feet? You know, I get it when you're your age. You see the problems and you hear the problems that your your four-year-old, your eight-year-old, your 15-year-old, your 22-year-old is going through and you're thinking, why is this such a big deal? Like, just suck it up, let's go. But if you would allow yourself to remember there was a time when you were their age and the problems that they faced, you faced, and you also thought it was the end of the world. You see, what your children are coming for is they're coming for rest and respite. 
So oftentimes what we as parents and especially us dads will do is we get into efficiency mode and we get into fix it mode and we go, all right, well, you just go tell her this and tell him that and get on with it. Follow these three steps that we all said good with. Great, go on. Let me get on about watching the game. Can I tell you that most of the time what your kids want is not for your answers or solutions on how to fix something. They just want to be connected to you. I know this is getting uncomfortable, but I've got one more question. Do the people that you lead, do they feel comfortable? The people in your home, the people in your business, the people in your community, do they feel comfortable to sit down with you? Or when you walk in the room, do they grow nervous and tense? You see, here's the kind of success that God wants for your life. God wants for your life to be faithful and reliable and fruitful so that you can be the kind of person that the people that God has put into your orbit can faithfully trust with trust and with reliability know that they can come to you and they can glean from you because you always have fruit and your, your leaves never, never, never wither. God wants for you the kind of success that though there will be times that you will be more fruitful than others. There will never be a time if you will be the man, if you will be the woman that God has promised to bless and do those things, there will never be a time where you never have the nourishment you need so that things in your life begin to wither and fall away. Let me ask this question, is your life successful like this? If your answer to that question is anything other than emphatically, yes, my life absolutely is like this, you're reading my journal. Like you can talk to my spouse, my kids, my boss. Man, if you were to talk to them, they would think that you just described their review of me. For the rest of us, I want you to understand this, that God wants you to have that kind of life. So much so that when Jesus was on the earth, Jesus basically laid out his game plan and his hopes for you and for me. And this is what he said. He said, I want you to have the kind of life that I've come to bless you and I've come to give you life and life abundantly. What does that mean? It means that God wants you to have life that is abundant in joy, abundant in peace, abundant in victory, abundance in freedom from the, from the shame and the mistakes and the things that you screwed up in your past. Jesus came to live on this earth. He went to the cross. He rose from the grave, not just to pay for your sins, but to make it possible for you to have a different kind of life that is defined by the things that we're reading in Psalm chapter one, which causes the question, is there another option? I mean, if, uh, preacher man, if this is what you're telling me is like the way of success and that's option number one, like, come on, what's behind door number two? Because there's always a door number two. I'd love to tell you what happens when you go behind door number two. Because God makes another promise. God makes another promise to the people who are unwilling to follow God's instructions that are unwilling to yield their lives to him. And he says this in verse four. He says, the ungodly, remember who's the ungodly? Those are the people that might even seem like they're a good person, but they've not come to faith in Jesus. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. What is chaff? Chaff is a, is, it's, a, it's an agricultural term because in their day, when they would harvest the grain, they would bring the, the, the heads of the grain in, they would tear it off the stalk, and they would put it in a big pile, um, oftentimes on a big stone uh, 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 floor. And then they would get another stone, oftentimes kind of round in shape, and they would take and they would roll that stone over the grains of the wheat. And what their stone would do is it would crush the shell, the outer shell that protected the fruit. And then, and then after they did that, then on a, on a particularly windy day, the farmer would come, he would go into that area where all the grain is, he'd take a shovel and he'd toss it up in the air and the fruit, the beneficial part, it would fall down to the ground and be perfectly safe to be harvested. But the, but the shell became like dust or chaff and the wind would blow the chaff away. And what God is saying here is that the ungodly are, will be driven away by the winds of the world. They will not be reliable and they will not be trustworthy. Verse five, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. What is he saying? He's saying when this is all said and done with, when your life is said and done with, Unless you are godly, unless you've crossed over, you've gotten to the point where you've placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, then you will experience something very different, that the ungodly will not sit in, in the congregation with the rest of, of the godly people. You will not experience the perfect peace and harmony in a perfect place in heaven in eternity. And despite what we may want to think when we sometimes go to funerals and we, we oftentimes say these things like, well, they're a good person, they're in a better place. Can I tell you emphatically, just because you think they're in a better place or because they thought they were going to a better place does not mean that they're in a better place. The only thing that determines whether or not they're in the better place that God calls heaven is whether or not they're classified as godly 
and move past being ungodly. And you see, here's what happens. We spend so much of our life, we're, we're all aware of death and we're all interested or concerned or at least intrigued about what happens in the afterlife. And for most of us, what we try to do is we try to, we try to live our lives in such a way as if we could buy our way into heaven. But can I tell you what the Bible says? The Bible says when you die and you get to heaven, the scales aren't gonna work by you just adding all of your good stuff on in hopes that it outweighs all the bad stuff that got added to it. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags in comparison to God and his standard of perfection and holiness. And what that means is, is that when you die and when I die, we're gonna get there and there's gonna be a scales of justice and we don't get to parse and separate the good from the bad because the Bible says that all of our life is gonna be tossed on the bad side of the scale and the only separator that can possibly move the scales of justice into your favor is whether or not your name is written in the book of life, whether or not you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus and if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, then God puts Jesus on the scale and it tips the scales forevermore in your favor. What determines whether or not we are godly or ungodly according to God's standard is not by the way that you live. It's not by the things that you do. It's not by whether or not you read your Bible a lot, you go to church a lot. Can I tell you, you can't go to church enough to overcome the sin that is in your life and mine. We can't give enough away to charity. We can't have enough homeless people living in our homes. We can't do enough good deeds. We can't be a good enough person. We can't mind our manners and always drive exactly the speed limit all the time enough and in order to be able to earn our way into God's heaven. The only way is whether or not you have believed in Jesus. Notice what God says next. He says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Here's what God's saying. The only thing that separates you from the being ungodly to godly is your belief in Jesus. Your trust in him for salvation and God knows that way. And the ungodly, there is no better place. See, this kind of preaching that oftentimes causes people not want to come back to that church, that doesn't make me feel good. But can I tell you, I would rather you leave here knowing the truth of God than for you to show up week after week after week hearing something that is different from the truth of God. Because can I tell you, when you get to heaven, preacher man said I was good isn't gonna count for nothing. So you may be asking the question, how does this work? Well, here's the reality. Every single one of us are living one way or the other. You are either living the way of the ungodly or you are living the way of the righteous. The ungodly live their lives by their own reason, by their own justification, by their own ability, by their own effort. The ungodly will, will, will never surrender or yield to the, the authority of God, the power of God, because we'll always wanna do it our way. And we have values like hard work and work ethic and grit and tenacity and all of these things that just say, I'm just gonna power through and I'm gonna get there. And the ungodly live with blind optimism, hoping that at some point it's all gonna work out. You don't have to live that way. I would invite you today to live the way of the righteous because the way of the righteous is a life that is not defined by your ability or your works or what you're doing. The way of the righteous is a life lived by faith in Jesus, recognizing I can't do it all. Jesus, I need you. People go, well, Jesus is just a crutch. No, can I tell you, Jesus is, is so much more than a crutch. To say that Jesus is a crutch is to imply that I could get there mostly on my own. I need just a little bit of help. No, no, no. The Bible says we're dead apart from Jesus. I don't need a crutch. I need a savior. I don't need a crutch to help me get, get from here to there. I need revival and resuscitation to get me out of a spiritual dead grave. And so do you. In the way of the righteous lives not with this, this blind optimism, hoping it's all gonna work out. The way of the righteous live with certain hope in Jesus. And so how do we live the way of the righteous? Well, Jesus told us in John chapter 14 and verse six, he said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. You know what this means? It means that when Jesus says, he's saying, listen, I'm the way to the truth, to the answers of the questions that you've been asking. 
Because some of the questions you're asking, you're never gonna find the answers in this world. Jesus says, I'm the truth to the answers that you're asking. He also says, I'm the way to the life that you want. Because the life that you really want isn't necessarily measured just by by money and things, although those things would be nice. I believe that what God has tapped into is that it speaks to all of us the life that we really want, that we could be trustworthy, reliable, dependable people that was a blessing to others, that, that was fruitful even when things sucked and were miserable. And Jesus says, you wanna know how to get there? I'm the way. And then he, he finishes and he says, and not only am I the way, the truth, and the life, I'm also the only way to the Father, meaning I'm the only way to heaven. Nobody gets to heaven through their own ability, their own effort, their own reason, or their own hard work. The only way we get to heaven is through Jesus. You see, what God wants us to know today is that the way of success starts by following Jesus. That's the first step. And if you're here today and you've got a relationship with Jesus, like boom, check, check the box, done, I'm good. All right, awesome. Now go use Psalm chapter one and put it into practice in your life and watch how God begins to change you, change the way you view and define success and watch how God leads you to a place that is exactly what he promised. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, can I tell you, I'm so glad that you're here. I don't know how you got here. I don't know who, who, who asked you to come, but can I tell you, God's been the one that's been pulling at your heart. And God wants you to know, I care about you. I care about your life. I care about the success of your life. So much so I send instructions so that you can know how to live a life that is ultimately what you want, what you hope for. But not only did God send instructions on how to get there, God sent Jesus to bridge the gap that we could never cross to make it possible for these instructions to mean something in our lives. You see, you can do the instructions, but apart from Jesus, it's not gonna lead you anywhere. The first step to the life of success is not donning the don'ts and doing the do's. The first step to the life of success is saying yes to following Jesus. I've made a lot of decisions in my life. I've made a lot of commitments in my life, a lot of them that I regret, but there's never been a commitment or decision where I said yes to following Jesus that I ever regretted it. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.